Hits back. Welcome back. Episode 33 of Icebreaker. AJ, how you doing? Doing really well. Needing a haircut and uh, fresh, fresh off the Super Bowl, Mac. We just turned it off and uh, now we're recording the podcast. And Tom Brady does it again. Seven Super Bowls. Seven Super Bowls, five Super Bowl MVPs. And who would have predicted he was going to toss two touchdowns to Gronk in 2021? It's literally like Gronk was he he was okay all season and then shows up and two two catches for touchdowns in the Super Bowl had a big night too receiving wise like it's just incredible what they did they literally take Tampa Bay all the way to the Super Bowl like it's it's wild I think what they had said was when they picked him up Tom Brady had the best winning percentage of anybody in sports and the Bucks had one of the worst winning percentages of any team in sports. Wow. wow. <laughs> and now another uh, fact here is Bruce Arians replaces Bill Belichick as the oldest coach to win a Super Bowl. But his quarterback remains the same. There's one key factor there. and it's That's often all. DB12, Tommy. And now he has more Super Bowl victories than the Patriots franchise and the legendary Steelers franchise who both stood at six. And when you think about that, you know, you think about all professional sports, some players never even make it to a championship game or series. And he's been there 10 times, but won seven of them. Like it's incredible. And the way that this team is built, this, this Tampa Bay team, they could be back there next year. They could. And so they can the Chiefs. Exactly. You know, we talk about Gronkowski. Maybe he doesn't even come back. OJ Howard was hurt all year for Tampa yeah. Bay, and he's a top tier tight end. So it's not like their teams are dispersing anytime soon. Oh my! It's going to be a rematch next year. And I was laughing leading up into the week, saying there's memes all over social media saying that the Chiefs don't have a quarterback named Eli Manning, which is funny. It proved to be true. And everybody, like even myself, I had my doubts. Like I thought, you know, Patrick Mahomes is. He's gonna he was gonna win, but I mean the the Bucks D was something else. Yeah, I mean, say what you will, you could have predicted that Tom Brady was gonna win the Super Bowl, that the Chiefs are gonna nobody was gonna say that the Chiefs weren't gonna score touchdown. Right. Put that on that Tampa Bay defense. They wanted to show up and I can't believe we skirted over it. First team to ever win the Super Bowl at home. Yeah. First I think there team- must have been some motivation there. First team to ever play in a Super Bowl at home, and then the other one win it. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> Literally, yeah, it was wild. Unreal. And then we have. It to... wasn't the craziest game. It it was a good, solid, fun game to watch. Wasn't the craziest game until the fourth quarter when some uh, crazy fan decided to run out there. <laughs> uh, I wish they would show the streakers when they run on television. You know how they just cut to the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, if you're watching this, whatever you've done, um, look up, I was telling you, Mac, I don't even think you've seen it yet, but look up Kevin Harlan calling the streaker. It could have been a 99-yard rushing touchdown. He gave it every single ounce of, of oomph that he could have given that call. Yeah, and, and Jim Nance on the feed I was watching, he he coined it as the run of the night, which it uh, it certainly was. It was up there. Fournette had a really good run. But yeah, the streaker with the bra who pulled his pants down, number two on the night, sure. And as we move on from NFL for the offseason, sad, sad day. We were talking a little bit last week, and you have a little bit of a hot take for us. 
We were talking last weekend about where Deshaun Watson is going to end up because I have to think now that the Hall of Fame stuff is over, the MVP of the year, which by the way, my hot take was Patty Mahomes. So there's another hot take that we got wrong. <laughs> uh, I think that the biggest offseason move is going to be Deshaun Watson. A lot of people are saying he's going to the Jets. I don't think that's true. A lot of people are saying San Francisco. I don't think that's true. I, my hot take puts Deshaun Watson in Carolina next year. Wow. And that's play with the, the Panthers. The Manitoba building trades hot take. It's not just any project. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. It's about building something great for Manitoba. That's why you turn to the talent and craftsmanship of Manitoba's expert trades people. Manitoba Building Trades is Manitoba's unionized construction industry. Productive labor is our business. With over 10,000 skilled trades professionals, we build what others can only imagine. Visit mbtrades.ca and come build with us. That is quite the take, and I hope you're right. I think they have the money to spend. I think they have a lot of great weapons and a good defense. And even if they had to trade uh, McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey, to get him, I think that Mike Davis running the ball there. I really think that Deshaun Watson fits in uh, in Carolina. And of course, I'm hoping to see him land in San Francisco. But <laughs> of course, uh, I heard today Jimmy G's going back to New England. So who knows what's going to happen this offseason? Going to be a wild offseason. And great news out of the Western Hockey League last week was that the U.S. division has got the go ahead to go and start play uh, later in March, which is great. So now two divisions officially uh, cleared to go. So that's Alberta. And the U.S., which is just great. It just brings hope to, to the other two divisions uh, awaiting confirmation here. But uh, just exciting for, for the junior players to get back on the ice here soon. Yeah, can't stress it enough. These guys have to get these games under their belts. So the fact that we're doing everything possible to get the season off the ground is double thumbs up. And there's more Western Hockey League chat a little bit later when Mitch Peacock joins the show. Uh, this week in our new segment... You are going to quiz me on something. Fill me in. All right. Trivia this week. I've got five questions. Casey was trying to make it back-to-back Super Bowls tonight. They didn't. Tom Brady was the last one to do it with the Pats. And so that's the theme tonight for trivia is back-to-back championships. We're going to play all types of sports here, Mac. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think we've built it. With some easy questions, some tough ones. So I think this one you're going to get. Which was the last NHL team to win back-to-back Stanley Cups? Pittsburgh Penguins. 2016-2017 Pittsburgh Penguins. I don't have the buzzer, but uh, (laughs) there we go. We'll get it in there. Uh, Question number two. And again, we're shooting for four out of five is like a a feasible. uh, Well, to tie. To tie. Right. You got it. Which NBA coach had championship three-peats three different times? Three different times. Three times with two teams. Off the top of my head, Mm -hmm. I want to say Phil Jackson. He did it twice with Chicago, and then he did it once with LA. technically won six in a row. Yes. He did it three with Chicago and three with the Lakers. So two for two. Question number three. The Yankees won the World Series in 98, 99, and 2000. Before that, who was the last Major League Baseball team to win back-to-back World Series? Ooh. 
Uh, oh, I think I know this. Mm-hmm. Was it the Toronto Blue Jays? In 92 and 93, they were the last ones to do it before the Yankees started to sweep everything. The iconic, uh, the iconic video of the home run. Both games, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're talking Joe Carter. Yeah. <laughs> Question number four in trivia tonight. This is good. So on, I want to pause you there for a sec and remind mm-hmm. our listeners and viewers. That was before I was born. A couple of these questions were before I was born. So... <laughs> Question number four, Mac, happened way before you were born. Perfect. Starting in 1959, how many straight NBA championships did the Boston Celtics win? Wow, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I'm going to lay that out there. I'm going to have a guess. Sure. And I'm going to say eight. Eight is the correct number. Let's go. <laughs> Celtics run the gamut from eight. In 1959 was their first of eight straight NBA championships. That was a good guess. Let's go. So that's four for four, correct? Puts you in the driver's seat here. You could sweep the board. Question number five is quite the opposite of back-to-back championships, Mac. Name one of the four teams who have never played a Super Bowl game. Who? There are only four. One of the four teams who have never played a Super Bowl game. Uh-huh. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Bingo. Five for five. Do you want to know the other three teams? <laughs> yeah, I do. It's the Jags, the Texans. I was going to th- was... the, the Detroit Lions. And this one could change some year soon. The Cleveland Browns have never been to the Super Bowl. Okay, so I was thinking off the top of my head, the Texans, the Browns, and the Jags, but I, I knew the Jags would be a home run. I, they've only been around for, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever recently. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's good. But that was good. Five fun. Out of five, buddy. More fun in this episode is we changed it up a little bit and I'm looking back through all our episodes here now. We're at 33 and, you know, you and I talk quite a bit about this, but we've had some really good guests on the show with great stories. So I figured this week going to pull out five, you know, stories. I have one, Mel Davidson, about the Olympic experience. Got some funny ones with Brandy Carlisle and a few more guests that I really enjoyed uh, talking to, including former Western Hockey League uh, play-by-play announcer for the Red Deer Rebels, who has now been promoted to the Edmonton Oilers with Cam Moon and a good chat with him. So we have going to take a look back on those stories, starting with um, Mel Davidson. But you mentioned it, you're with Hockey Canada for a long time, uh, including uh, time spent, you won four Olympic gold medals, uh, five world championships, and then another 10 at the Four Nations Cup. Um, Obviously, it didn't just happen. So uh, can you take us back to the beginning and how it all got started? Wow. Uh, Yeah, I mean, pretty fortunate in the opportunities I've been I was given through uh, Hockey Alberta first. Uh, in our province and then uh, with Hockey Canada. But, uh, you know, I, I think my first appointment with, with Hockey Canada was in 1993 when we threw together or they threw together a, a women's team. Uh, you had to have one from every province, uh, one, one athlete from every province. And then uh, Ontario obviously is, is quite loaded in, in talent. So we got to pick a few extras and we went to San Antonio, Texas for a, a tournament, if you can believe, against the U.S. Uh, Olympic or uh, U.S. team at the time. 
so that was sort of started it but uh, my first world championships was in 1994 and I mean things just just went on from there it was a, a, a lot of great opportunities uh, a lot of fun I mean the the downside of it at, at the time it was really the only place for a, a female to coach uh, there weren't a lot of u-sport teams there wasn't a lot of um, teams to coach if you will so if I had you know, one thing to look back on, I wish I was uh, significantly younger now and could take advantage of all the opportunities for for women in, in coaching and in sport. There's there's so many more than, than what I had, um, but I'm real, real appreciative of the opportunities that Hockey Alberta and Hockey Canada gave me to, to be able to experience some of the most incredible tournaments and, and work with some of the, you know, the best people in the game on, on uh, in terms of the athletes and the staff. Yeah. Um, if I look back and I think back, I mean, I watched the Olympics growing up and I, I 100% remember seeing you on TV and, and coaching. Is there an Olympic games that kind of stands out for you, uh, in your mind? Wow. I mean, they're all so different. My first one, 2002 as an assistant coach right after nine one one. Um, and the the environment and the way the world was at that time uh, was such a such a different ride and just trying to find competition to play against and that's when we we formed our our partnership with the Alberta Major Midget League and started to uh, uh, play midget AAA teams in Alberta to help with our our uh, competition uh, piece and I mean that games I was so naive I remember thinking though the one thing with that games and it it goes to I think all the experience and all the things you go to as a, a young athlete as a coach etc was that when I got to the village I was like man it's just like the Canada Winter Games you know so it really, you know, started to connect the dots for me. And lots of times we want to, we want to run before we can walk, but the importance of, you know, on my end, the Alberta summer and winter games where you were sleeping in classrooms, et cetera, and the multi-sport dimensions around that through to the Canada winter games and then into the, the Salt Lake Olympics. Uh, the Torino Olympics was my first as a head coach and, and that was a real special team. They were, they were unbelievably connected and uh, uh, just on point. We had, a, I believe, a good mix of, of, of leadership, of veterans, of people in the middle of their careers and of, of young blood, if you would. Uh, and that, you know, the only, only thing you look back on that, people kind of stamped that one that the U.S. lost to Sweden in the, in the semifinals and we didn't play them in the gold medal. But, man, we were a good team then. So it would have been fun to have seen ourselves against the U.S., but at the same time, you make your own fate, and, and we got to the, the final game, and unfortunately, they didn't, and, you know, Sweden was a formidable op opponent, and, uh, you know, we couldn't just show up and walk away with the medal there. We had to play. 2010, obviously, would be special, uh, being in your home country, lots of stress and pressure. Um, you know, I remember thinking that going into it, well, as long as we don't screw it up in terms of getting in the way of the athletes, we'll be fine. Um, and then just, you know, still remember to this day, the crowd and, and uh, how exciting that was uh, through there. And, you know, at the end winning, at the end of any of them, winning is just a relief. Like it's like, oh, didn't screw it up, you know? So it's just a relief, all the hard work. Uh, 2014 was, was really different for me. Um, I was a GM then. 
and I'd, I'd battled some illnesses, an illness during the whole season. So I was sick and in and out of the environment. Uh, you know, we made a coaching change. Uh, I had to leave the Olympics uh, the day before the gold medal game, actually, and come back to Canada and have surgery. And um, I remember landing and uh, the concierge meeting me in Calgary and being like, we just tied it up. We just tied it up. And she was like, trying to circumvent me through customs. And I remember saying, well, uh, you know, is it going into overtime? And she was like, yeah. I was like, well, we get a flood so I, I can go through customs here. We don't have to break any rules. And then going, my sister picked me up and we went right to Montana's, the, the little pub there in uh, the Calgary airport. And just, it was right full. Everybody was watching. And, you know, I found it, we found a table in the back corner and she was like, disgusted with me is just tell them who you are like get up to the front like gotta watch this game and and then uh you know I realized you know we won uh we just sat down and we scored and it was so exciting and then you know just driving to the to meet with the doctor as to what was going to happen for myself and and Bob Nicholson and Kevin Deneen and Scott Smith all called me you know and that was special as well so that one was was really a different year for sure um, and the 2018 Olympics, you know, even though we didn't win, it just goes to show you how close things were, right? To to go for your fifth and 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 not win it in in a shootout, um, you know, was heartbreaking. And I still just speaking about it, almost get sick to my stomach. So uh, it's still right there. But yeah, some some great opportunities that I, that I've been able to have. But even more than that, the people I've met along the way have been terrific. Always a pleasure to talk to Mel Davidson, one of the leaders in growing the women's hockey game around the world. And just such great insight and, and experiences, you know, around the game and what she's done within uh, Hockey Canada, women's hockey. This next guest has a quite the crazy story, and we're going to go right back to the beginning of where it all started. And that's Cameron Hughes, or better known as Cameron Cheers, who goes around to sporting events around the world and cheers. And he has some signature moves that we're going to hear about in this snippet. Uh, as we get going here, but this is how his whole gig started and what a wild ride it's been. Let's go. Let's bring the Manitoba some cheer. Yeah, absolutely. Come on. A absolutely. So I was doing some research and you started this by accident at an Ottawa Senators game way back when against the Winnipeg Jets. Against the Jets. It was, uh, there was probably like 30 feet of snow that day, <laughs> but you know, like, I vividly remember leaving the arena with like, there was, you know, you know, Canadians, right? They still go to the game. It was a Saturday night, super chill, quiet. The Sens were not very good. Winnipeg was a lot better. And the crowd was just so dead. Third period, eight minutes to go. I'm like, I got to do something. This whole thing came over me and I'm like, I'm going to do it. My buddy, you know, your friends are like, don't do it. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm doing it. It's too late. So next thing I know, I'm up on my chair dancing acting like a lunatic and the crowd's looking at me like should we call the paramedics like should we get some help and I just kept going you know and that's been sort of my my through line in life is I've just kept going <laughs> you know what I mean 26 years later still going no that's unbelievable and then I saw that so the first time you stood up and then the next time you got onto the you went on the stairs yeah that's you know I, I joke with people that you know there's a lot of you look at a lot of clips. If you go, if you're on YouTube and you're looking at sports clips, you see a lot of people do funny things in their seat. Yeah. For some reason, I, 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 you know, I've obviously, it wasn't just this moment, you know, I was the crazy guy in high school and mascot. And so I wasn't afraid of a crowd, 
but I'd never done anything like this, right? But I tell people, uh, you know, at events that I do that the reason I, it happened, I have a career, is because of the next time I went to the aisle. And without that, it would have just probably been a funny moment. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then I'm, there's, there is some footage of me in the aisle of this, like, you know, it's hard to dance on the aisle, by the way. <laughs> um, it's there. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of what set the tone that brought it to the next level. And so I want to I wanna ask where the, the shirt thing came from, wearing, you know, 20 shirts, and how did that start? Yeah, so I was kind of in and out of university trying to figure out what to do with my life. I had a clothing company. I was repping all these different, um, you know, schools and companies and trying to sell T-shirts and sweatshirts back in the day. And, and we used to have all these leftover T-shirts, my, my friend and I, that were doing it. And I was like, what if I put my, like, a crazy picture of me on the front with powered by the name of our company on the back and I threw the shirts out and people were like, uh, I don't know. And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I was like, I don't think fans. And then suddenly I'm like, put them on me and I start twirling them around. And then it basically was like rewarding fans for getting involved, you know? Right. And then I'll never forget. I go to Toronto uh, a couple of years later, a year and a half later. And the Leafs were like, they gave me a shot, you know, they're like, okay, try it in this crowd. And by the end of the game, they're like, okay, you can come back, but we need you to wear Leaf t-shirts. <laughs> so that's when I knew that there was the power of, um, we all know what it's like to put on our t favorite team jersey or shirt, right? It, yeah. you, you become part of something. He literally loves to bring joy to everybody in a stadium, and you have to applaud him for that. He goes out of his way to make your experience better. So thanks for joining us on Icebreaker Cam. This next guy, also Cam, Cam Moon, former play-by-play -play voice of the Red Deer Rebels, as mentioned earlier, and now is the play-by-play -play voice of the Edmonton Oilers. And we're going to talk to Cam about where it all started for him and why he wants to get into broadcasting in the first place. And now he's calling games in the National Hockey League for his childhood and hometown team. You're in Red Deer right now, and that's where the World Junior Camp is. We'll get to that in a sec. I mentioned that you're your play-by-play -play for Red Deer and just how did you get into that and when did you get started with that? Well I, I came here in 98 so it's been a while now. I did three years in the BC Junior League with the Nanaimo Clippers before I came here and before that I was uh, I was doing some television work through the winter uh, with TSN on their WHL broadcast a little bit of OHL a little bit of Quebec Major Junior at that time uh, I started that in my second year at school when I was at Nate in Edmonton, where I'm from, and uh, kind of got into it that way. I wanted to get a play-by-play -play job, so that's why I went to Nanaimo, and it's just sort of uh, gone from there. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a, a real fun ride. It's been it's been great. I I, I love I love junior hockey. I love the Western Hockey League. Uh, just so much fun, so professional great we get to go great places get to see a lot of great things so i've enjoyed it tremendously yeah and you can tell with the passion that you, you talk with while you're on the air you said you've been there since 98 so obviously some good players have come through there since then oh yeah yeah for sure uh we've been very fortunate and i mean every you go through every team and see that they've had guys that have gone on to to great NHL careers and here, you know, Dion Phaneuf and uh, Cam Ward and Brandon Sutter and, you know, Colin Fraser, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I mean, there's been a bunch of them that have come through and, and have done really well at the next level, uh, but there've been a lot 
and, and, and certainly this is the majority, that have gone through, have had, uh, I, I would like to think, really good experience and, and have taken advantage of the education money and been able to go to school after and, and go to the University of Alberta or Calgary or Saskatchewan or Manitoba or whatever and, and take advantage of that. And, and quite honestly, I get as much uh, fulfillment in seeing guys access that and then talk about, especially when you talk to them after, what a great experience they had at Canadian University Hockey or wherever they go that they had so much fun and that it was so good. So I, I, I love seeing guys go on to NHL careers. That's wonderful. I also like seeing guys uh, go on and, and go to school after too. Yeah, and I think a lot of people forget that, you know, when they come into the Western League, most of them are 16, 16 17 years old and are trying to, trying to make it. And let's just talk uh, for a sec about one of the players that you formerly uh, had the chance to uh, call games for, Dawson Bartow, who came over to the mm. Winnipeg Ice Organization. And there's not a, a better person out there than him. No, he's right up there. Like, if you talk about – I guys that have come through here like all-time great guys he's definitely on that list and uh, the second we got Dawson and we got Dawson via a trade he was first yeah. round pick of the Regina Pats and uh, there was a trade made when Regina was hosting and we sent a couple of older guys their way they sent some younger players and draft picks our way well one of the younger players was Dawson Bartow and he came to us uh, it was about halfway through his 16 year old year and he was just a great fit because he's such a quality person. And I hope he has a, a great and very lengthy professional career. Uh, but whatever, however it goes and whatever happens, even when hockey's done for him, which hopefully will be 15, 20 years down the road, he's going to be a successful kid because uh, just the way he is, the way he approaches things, the way he approaches life. Uh, we we're really lucky to have him here. I, I felt very fortunate uh, that we had him here. And, uh, yeah, he's he's about as good as it gets. So, uh, yeah, really, uh, really excited to see what the next step is for Dawson Bartow. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And he told me a funny story. He said that we were talking on the bus one day about chips and dip, and he said that you put them on the ketchup chips and dill pickle dip. It's, it's it, you look at it from the outside looking in, you're like, that's probably not a mix, but you give it a shot. Give it a shot, and it it's not bad. It's not bad. I don't know that it's for everybody, but I'm just saying, don't downplay it before you try it. That's what I'm saying. You know what? I'll give it to you. I did try it, and it wasn't, uh, wasn't too bad, actually. Not bad, yeah. And it came up because I was having salt and vinegar chips in the French onion dip, and he, he right away told me about your uh, ketchup chips in the dill pickle dip. That's right. Now I want to try your concoction. Try it. Like, I, I'll give that a go, sure. You won't meet a nicer guy than Cam Moon. So congrats to Cam on, on living out his childhood dream. This next guest, longtime family friend and uh, former Winnipeg Jet, who many and widely known as not wearing a helmet in his National Hockey League playing career. And I asked him about that and his season where in which he won the Norris Trophy. And that's Randy Carlisle. Uh, some great stories. This was a fun episode and uh, check it out. And I, I had uh, James Patrick on the show the other week and another former player that's now a coach. And he said when he turned coaching, when he was a player, he was like, well, they're just coaches. And then he became a coach and he didn't realize all the time that had to go into coaching. Well, again, the, the, the players, there's no better life 
as far as being involved in the game and then being a player. It's the most exciting time. And you spend the least amount of time of anybody at the rink. Everybody else is there to support you. And it goes right from the training staff, the medical staff, uh, to the coaching staff, strength and conditioning, video. All those people put a tremendous amount of time and make sure everything is ready for when you get to the rink. When you enter into that dressing room, your focus is, is supposed to be at, and at 99% of the time is preparing yourself for the task at hand. And that's on the on-ice product, working and competing and getting out there and making yourself better. And there's a, a, a professionalism that's expected of young players that you're going to learn how to be a pro and do the things the professional way. And we're there to try and guide them and help them to find that. And a lot of guys struggle with that. And I don't think that I was very good at it early in my career. You just had to walk the walk and then you had to learn what the longevity and some of the players that you were playing around you, what they did. And you learned from that. And you tried to pass that message along to other players to develop a program. Feel good about your program. Go to the rink and enjoy it. But again, you've got to commit to it. It's not something that just comes and goes. Yeah, no question. Um, we're looking at old photos of your playing days, and it's widely known that you didn't play with a helmet. What was that? Yeah, my wife always said, no brain, no pain. <laughs> so that was... It was just one thing, you know, we started and, you know, I go back a long ways and helmets weren't mandatory in the league at that time. I know. I started in 76, my first year in uh, Toronto. I was drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs and nobody wore helmets. Uh, the whole team was helmetless. And then gradually it became a, a, an option and then more and more players started to wear them. But they grandfathered that if you were in the league before, you could make that decision. But every young player coming into the league had to wear a helmet and I think that started in 78 or 79 so I was fortunate enough that I didn't have to it just wasn't part of my equipment but I did wear a helmet in the world championships uh, one year in Sweden I wore a Jofa Gretzky and I was one ugly <laughs> maybe I'll have to look that up and yeah. you, you snuck a Norris trophy into your uh, trophy case as well yeah, I was fortunate enough to, you know, get into a situation. I got traded from Toronto, and they traded me to Pittsburgh. And I went to Pittsburgh, and they were a, a team that was looking for some uh, youth, injection of youth. And I got an opportunity to, to go from being a sixth defenseman in Toronto's system, because I played behind Boreas Alming and Ian Turnbull. And then they had uh, Trevor Johansson was a young guy that came in at the same time as I did, and Roger Nielsen felt he was a better suited player for their mix. They traded me to Pittsburgh for Dave Burroughs, George Ferguson, and I. So we went to Pittsburgh, and then I got elevated. I was in the top role. I was either one or two in their makeup of their group. So it gave me an opportunity to play. And, and I made mistakes. I made lots of mistakes. But I developed there into a pro hockey player. And, and that's where you got to learn. you got to do some things differently. You had to change the way you were approaching things. And you went to practice to get better, not just to fill time and space. Right. Always fun getting to chat with Randy Carlisle. This, this next snippet was an earlier episode. One of my favorites to date uh, was bringing the band back together. And that's Hustler and Lawless, a former radio duo in Winnipeg. And now, you know, moved on to two other things, but getting them back together on my show. And I asked them, uh, they used to have some pretty good fights or arguments on air 
and I asked him about that and what it was like working together. So this is a pretty good little snippet and uh, check it out. Gary, you said you guys are like brothers and with brothers comes a few little arguments and you guys have been known to have a couple of dust ups on air. What comes to mind when I say that? Well, we do. It's funny. Like we see the world completely different. Like I've never played fantasy football. I've never played a video game. Completely like, out, out of touch, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I am old school in the fact that I would, you know, uh, I, I would, you know, make my calls, do my reporting, and then, and then kind of, you know, form my opinions in, in that manner. And Andrew is, like, comes from the fan perspective. So, you know, a lot, listen, the whole job as a sports columnist is to write things that are provocative so that, like, I, I would always say when, when a, a, a couple gets out of bed in the morning, I want one of them to, to say, I hate Gary Lawless, and I want the other one to say, I love Gary Lawless. Like, that's the, that's the whole secret of the job. So I think for Hustler, like, one day he'd think, oh, law man, that's, you're so smart. And one day he'd go, you are such a jerk. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and we, uh, we'd get, uh, we would get pretty heated on air for sure. It was, uh, uh, but it was always, you know, I mean, it was, it was, uh, well, I wouldn't say it was professional, but it was, <laughs> <laughs> it, was it, it, it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't an act. Like we really, yeah. we, had, we had chemistry that, uh, uh, that Bob Irving said that to me very early on. He said, he goes, look, you can't manufacture it. You can't buy it. He goes, it, what you guys have is once in a lifetime. And it, uh, um, it, 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 like, it was, it was fun going to work every day. Like it was, and we would do one segment where we would agree one wholeheartedly. And the next segment we were yeah. ready to throw stuff at one another. <laughs> I mean, the beauty, the beauty of it all is, and some, once in a while, a few things like that happen, but you know, much like your know, Gary's analogy to being brothers, I mean, we could be going at it, killing each other. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And you are so out to lunch and go at it and to the point where people might be getting uncomfortable listening to it. And then we go to a break, take a breath or go take a leak and come back and laugh before going into the next segment. And that's why it was always fun to, uh, it was always fun to do the show. I mean, you know, the, 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 a lot of the things were natural, but I mean, as far as massive, like, you know, fights or anything like that. I mean, more, it was all based on topics. It was all just general passion for whatever we were talking about. But I mean, 99.9% .9 of the time when we finished the show and, you know, left, we were uh, always pretty happy and on good terms and uh, were able to get up and do it again the next day, I guess, which is what it's all about. Those guys are always good for a good laugh and changing direction here. We're going to bring in Mitch Peacock again, and we're going to do a little bit more Western Hockey League talk in Winnipeg Ice. Mitch, uh, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, great to be here, man. You did an interesting piece last week uh, with some video. You, ch you chatted with a couple Winnipeg Ice defensemen, just to, I guess about their their mental process in general and dealing with COVID, but also what they've been doing workout-wise, uh, skating-wise, which was pretty interesting. Yeah, I really need to catch up with them and see them in their home environments. We're talking about Ben Zelotti and Nolan Orzek, the two defensemen, both from Calgary, and just what they were doing to try and stay active and try and stay sharp and uh, keep the spirits up and keep in shape. And both of them have made modifications to their home with some gym equipment and fitness gear and 
uh, are putting a lot of work in. Both of them mentioned outdoor rinks. I thought it was interesting that uh, Nolan or, or the people's champ, I guess I should say, uh, <laughs> talked about skating on an outdoor rink and, and, and skating with other Western Hockey League players on an outdoor rink. And not just doing that, but skating in full gear. So these guys are doing everything they can uh, to stay sharp and to be ready. And uh, both are very excited about the prospect of this 24-game season. And um, I just, you know, that behind-the-scenes look is so special. You can you can talk to somebody about what they're doing, but uh, to then go a little deeper and see the pictures and the video of, of where they're working out and what they've done, it really speaks to the commitment of these guys. Pretty cool. Yeah, and it was funny you bring up the outdoor rinks uh, that they're doing full gear now. And you think back to like every young hockey player playing in outdoor tournaments and, you know, used to play in full gear on the outdoor rinks. I can't, I can't imagine what it's like with a bunch of Western hockey league players. That ice must take a beating. It must take a beating and, and it must get the attention of people walking by or used to seeing kids moving in slow motion and taking the odd wrister and talking to their buddy. And all of a sudden there's a bunch of guys out there that are in top shape flying around and, maybe bumping into each other and the slap shots are zinging. And yeah, that's, um, that's not the average uh, outdoor skate to come across for sure. And then you moved into, you know, the home gyms and what they have set up there. Um, and both players really lucky to have, you know, pretty good, a pretty good amount of equipment in there to, to stay in shape. You know, a lot of times we forget about the commitment that the families make. Uh, parents, brothers and sisters, the sacrifices, uh, everything they do to help these guys chase their goals and try to be the best that they can be. And, you know, it's funny because I asked Ben if there was a lot of negotiating involved to get that gym equipment brought into the house. And he said, no, actually, it was surprisingly straightforward. And that just tells you these parents see how much these kids love to play. They see how they want to be the best they can be. And, uh, you know, it's tough. I mean, there's a financial commitment. Uh, uh, they're giving up space in the house or the garage, whatever the case might be. Uh, but really, you know, it just is such a good reminder about what these people do uh, to help and, and to and try and give these kids a chance to do whatever it is that they're trying to do in the game. Yeah. And some of those kids, what they want to do is make it to the pro level. And uh, at the end of last week, you wrote an article about all the draft prospects within the East Division. And there's quite a lot. Yeah, you know, it's funny because because some years, you know, it's it's more than others. And I think this is a pretty hardy year uh, in terms of the East Division of the Western Hockey League with uh, respect to prospects for the upcoming NHL draft, which is slated to go in July. But we'll see when it actually happens. Uh, it seems to be a, a bit of a question mark right now with everything going on related to the pandemic. And, and that's understandable, maybe a, a conversation for another day. But uh, 36 players in the Western Hockey League have been named to NHL Central Scouting's watch list. That in itself is impressive. But then you boil that down a little bit and you see that 13 of the 36 are in one division, the East Division of the Western Hockey League. So that speaks very well to the division. You've got six forwards, six defensemen, a goaltender. You've got two A prospects, which means these are guys projected to be first-round picks. We're talking, of course, about Winnipeg Ice defensemen, standout uh, Karsten Lambos. And a forward with the Moose Jaw Warriors by the name of Ryder Korzak, who had a terrific season last year on a, a Moose Jaw team that's retooling. They're getting themselves uh, together pretty sharp for the future. They look like they've got some very good young players there. They've got a great staff and they're building. But Ryder Korzak last year in a non-playoff year, more than a point a game. And uh, he's really garnering attention as a first-round prospect as well. Nolan Allen, excellent defenseman with the Prince Albert Raiders as a B prospect. They're are only a handful of those in the whole league. In fact, uh, there's only three B prospects in the Western Hockey League on that central scouting list. And he's one of them. He's in the East Division. 
And then uh, you move into that category of C prospects, guys projected to be fourth to sixth round picks. And there's a good number there in terms of these divisions, including Mikey Mill, another Winnipeg guy. He's working back from injury right now, but uh, really a good year for the division and, and some real quality prospects to look to. And I know people watching last year will say, well, there was four first round picks last year. So uh, the East is a beast and uh, it's going to be fun to see when it's going again. And I know we've talked about this before, but the idea of a 24 game season for these players that are named on these lists has got to be an exciting, uh, exciting feeling. You know, any chance to play for these guys, then they're going to eat it up. They've been chomping at the bit now for almost a year uh, to get out there and compete and, and to put all their training to work and uh, to get a chance to, to be with their teammates, to help their team to be the best it can be. And then, yeah, to showcase their abilities and, and show what they can do. Uh, for the scouts, I think it's something that they, they just can't wait to do. And, you know, talking to people the best you can these days through social media and on the telephone and things like that, uh, there's a buzz, there's an excitement. Hockey fans miss their WHL and uh, maybe not as much as the players, but they, they miss it. And uh, it, it's going to be uh, an exciting time when it all comes together. Moving into this week, uh, what do you got in store for us? Well, we're going to focus on newcomers this week, Mac. Uh, the idea is to take a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the players on the ice roster and guys trying to be on the ice roster. Players that are uh, maybe had a chance to dip their toe in the water a little bit in the Western Hockey League. Others aspiring to, to do that, hoping to be a part of the Western Hockey League team in Winnipeg and just find out more about who these guys are, what they bring to the table, their background, some of their qualities, and uh, talk to fans a little bit about players to watch for with the Winnipeg Ice. And then a little further than that, just broaden that out to talk about players to keep an eye on coming into the East Division. We, we've talked about some of the guys that are in line to be drafted by NHL teams, but who are the future guys that NHL teams are going to be looking at? So we'll peek around the division and, and talk about some of the names to keep an eye on uh, for the season ahead. And a couple of those players just off the top of my head would be, you know, Connor Geeky coming in for the Winnipeg Ice. Obviously, um, Bedard, getting the exceptional status to, to get his toes wet. To just, you know, some real good player is going to suit up in the East Division. It's incredible when you think about it. Uh, they just seem to keep coming. Western Canada can really produce hockey players. And uh, another batch is on its way. And Carter Bedard gets the, the real big buzz coming in because of that exceptional player status that he was granted. It's got to be difficult for him because I'm sure as much as anyone, he was excited. The league was excited. The Regina Pats could hardly wait. Their fan base was raring to go to get a chance to see this incredible young talent out of BC. Uh, he spent some time over in Sweden getting ready for the year. Uh, this is a really quality young man from what I understand. Um, so, you know, that's one example and probably the one getting the most attention. But yeah, when you come back to Winnipeg and look at the ice, how about Connor Geeky? Let's not forget about him. You know, second overall pick in the Bantam draft. He's a six foot four. Uh, I, I see some places where he's listed as around 190, but uh, the word is that the workouts have been going pretty well out there uh, in, in the farm country on Westman. And uh, I, I'm hearing it's more like about 200. So um, imagine that at that age. And that's just the physical part of it. He's a smart guy who loves to play the game, brings a lot of energy. James Patrick, uh, I know, uh, saw a lot of good things in him last year and just had him on the wing a little bit to get him into the league. But uh, my guess, my sense is he's going to play center ice. Um, that's an important position with a lot of responsibility on a good team. So um, no shortage of good players to talk about coming into these divisions. Yeah, it's definitely exciting times. Well, listen, Mitch, thanks again for joining the show. Yeah, it was good to be here, Mac. Take care. 
Well, that'll just about do it for episode 33 of Icebreaker. Thanks for checking it out. If you want to listen to any of those snippets, full episodes, you can find them all on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to the podcast, YouTube. Uh, so check them out. All great full episodes there for you to click. If you're watching on YouTube, they'll be linked in the bio. And I appreciate all the listens and, and uh, ratings and comments. If you like it, pass it along to your friends. Uh, it's much appreciated. Uh, hope everybody has a good week and we will talk to you next week.